Time is basically an illusion created by the mind to aid in our sense of temporal presence in the vast ocean of space. Without the neurons to create a virtual perception of the past and the future based on all our experiences, there is no actual existence of the past and the present. All that there is, is the present. Abit Naskar is the, is the person who said that. And here's another quote from Albert Einstein. People like us who believe in physics know that the distinction between past, present, and future is only a stubbornly persistent illusion. Hey guys, this is the Construction Monk Podcast. I'm your host, J. Randall Ori. We are in the middle of a multi-episode series called Hearing God, and this is episode 9. This episode is Illusions and Perceptions. So, um, I'm actually recording this. I'm out in the woods. Of course, it's early morning. It's been raining, so the, the woods are wet and drippy. They smell musky and sweet. I love the smell of the woods after the rain. But I actually started, I actually recorded my last episode yesterday, and I was actually not even halfway through what I wanted to talk about. So I thought I'd come back out here when the topic and the thoughts were still fresh in my mind and continue to record. And last time I was talking about, uh, well, it was called Twisties and Yips, but I was talking about uh, these two kingdoms, right? And these two ways of ordering the world and seeing the world, right? It's like, that's what's what perception is about. It's perception and illusion in a sense. And I think this is probably hard to grasp. So... But stay with me, bear with me too. Like, basically, we could say Satan's kingdom has constructed a kind of world that is an illusion. It's not real, right? It's real, but not real, right? Meaning, um, <laughs> I told you this is hard, hard to explain. Um, what I mean by real but not real is, yeah, I mean, well, here's what I mean. When you believe something, you breathe it into existence. We're actually creators, like God is a creator in a way. God made us in his image, Imago Dei. And so we are creators. We love to create and we can create. And, you know, if I told you, you create reality, you'd say that's, that's absurd. But actually, even physics now is beginning to uh, or some people within physics are coming up with this idea that that the reality is is participatory, and we actually help create reality. Um, one of the ideas out there is called biocentrism, but it's just the idea that intelligence, sentience is, and human sentience is part of creating reality. To be what it is, right? And like, okay. So when you believe something, it becomes real for you, right? And, you know, we would say, well, just because you believe something doesn't make it real. But it does make it real for you, right? Um, 
you know, we hear these crazy stories about people that they don't believe in the Holocaust. They don't believe that the Earth is round, you know, flat Earthers. People that don't believe we actually landed on the moon, you know. Like, just go through Facebook and you'll find people that believe starkly opposed things, very different things, and some things that seem very absurd, right? Like, what we believe matters, what we believe creates our reality, and it can actually change reality itself in a way. And so we could say when we're talking about these two kingdoms, right? These kingdoms are in opposition and they're creating oppositional realities. But we could say God's reality is true reality, but we could also say that in a way we can partner with a false reality and make it our reality and bring it in a way into existence, right? So obviously, like a tree is a tree, right? The sky is the sky, a leaf is a leaf, right? I can't, I can't create a leaf to, or I can't, I can't create a leaf, but I can't make a leaf be anything than what it is. But that's not the kind of reality I'm talking about. I'm talking about what we believe and how it shapes how we see the world. It's about perception and illusion, right? What we believe even about God makes God who he is for us. But it also, now hear me out here, it also can affect how God relates to us and how we relate to God in real ways, right? So, God created us with a will. So we have the ability to make choices and we have the ability to allow God to do what we want in our lives, right? This is why in Scripture it's so important to take up your cross Deny yourself and follow Jesus. Right? What's the crux of all that idea? Like we need to surrender to God and go the way of God, learn to walk with God in order to start to enter into God's reality. There is a surrender that needs to take place because we have the ability to resist God. We have a will. We can enact our will upon the world. So here's another way to put it. Do you think that God is the author of hate, of war, genocide of human born catastrophe of murder like we're the world is not a great place often why not because of God's will because of our will so we can see all over the world right I mean we can see that we are breathing reality into the world in a way that creates the world in a way in opposition to God Especially if we're not following God's kingdom. Like, why do skyscrapers exist? Why do church buildings exist, right? Because somebody had an idea to build something, and they did. So they, right? So they breathed something into reality. And now our reality is shaped by all these different wills. We can have an effect on reality, our reality. We can create a world ordered according to our will and in opposition to God's will and what we see though what I'm trying to teach and um, and illuminate is that when we enact our will when we when we live out of our will and separation from God we're actually then participating with Satan's kingdom why Satan's kingdom is about... Sorry, I just walked into a spider web and it's all over my face and hair. I'm trying to get it out. 
It's early morning, and that's just it. I lowered my spider stick for a minute, and my face became <laughs> my spider stick. Anyway, um, like Satan's whole scheme in the beginning with Adam and Eve was to what? To separate them from God, to get them to walk in their own will, their own thoughts, to create their own reality. Because that is the only reality in which Satan can be God, right? Satan's offer to Adam and Eve was the offer of his own desire to be God, right? So remember what I said in the last podcast, how um, God has given man dominion over the earth, right? So God, even though God is sovereign, God still has chosen to let us be in charge of the earth, us to have dominion over the earth. And so God and Satan both are in a battle um, for the attentions of all humanity because it is through us that the world gets shaped. And so Satan needed to sunder us from God's will and direction in order to enact his will through us. And his will is in opposition to God's. His will is to create a reality, to reshape the earth according to his desire. But here's the cool thing, I think, is that as much as the kingdom of darkness may attempt to reshape reality, reality still exists as it is in God's heart and mind. Like, God's still sovereign over creation. God still holds all creation together. As, as um, Paul writes, I think it's in Colossians, For in him we move and breathe and have our being, and in him all things hold together. Heaven and earth, it actually says, hold together in Jesus Christ. All things were created through him and by him, and all things are held together in him. Like, God is the life in all things. And so, the world literally exists because God chooses to cause it to exist by his sheer will. And so God is never absent from the world, but God has allowed for this one concession to humanity because he created the world for us to be in it as he is, in a way, as creators. He gave us the earth to take care of, and upon which we could enact our own creativity and will, and act out of our own creativity and will. And so we have dominion here. Now, this was God's paradigm, and this is God's paradigm. It is that we are meant to walk in concert with God, subservient to God's will. We were never meant to, you know... Even though we were made in God's image, God never created us to walk independent of Him. Right? In, in Genesis, the Genesis story says that God, or Adam and Eve, walked with God in the cool of the day. God was very present in creation, and Adam and Eve were perfect, right? They didn't need the knowledge of good and evil, they had God to guide them. God was with them. God intended us, even with our own will and creativity, to be subservient and um, in communion with Him, right? To be walking, really, as God, with God's will preeminent to ours, guiding us. In a sense, I like the, uh, the you know, Jesus called God Abba, Father. It was a very personal term, almost like Daddy. But like this idea that, like little kids, we're meant to walk with God our Father as a guiding presence, and the Holy Spirit is seen and 
spoken of also as this guiding presence, as, as a teacher, as a voice behind us in the way. Um, that was in, in episode 7, that passage from Isaiah, where it says, he shall be this, The teacher shall be a voice behind you in the way. Saying this is the way, walk in it. Like, we're meant to walk in such close communion with God where God directs us intimately. Where We're not telling God what to do and what we want, and we're not trying to enact what we want in the world, but we're trying to live in harmony with God's will. And God's will becomes a singular, unifying vision of the world. That was the intended order. That was the intended design. That we would live in communion with God. And this is what Jesus invites us back into. This is why we take communion as a central uh, metaphor or end participatory ritual that um, points to this reality that we are coming back into communion with God. Because we lost communion with God. And when we lost communion with God, we became unhinged and untethered. We became... Like we, we got disconnected from the greatest will in the world and we, we became, and we fell back into our own will in a sense. But when we did that, we became susceptible to Satan's schemes, Satan's system of order. And so, what we have today in the world is a false reality. Satan's reality being born in the world through those through anyone really not given to God. It's like we don't even have we don't have to choose to participate with Satan's system. It happens naturally as a result of being disconnected from God's. Whew. So that was a long explanation to say that our perception of things matters and our perception of things can create a false reality. We can be living in an illusion when we're not participating with God, subservient to God, and letting His will and vision for the world lead. And I read, you know, this is just another example, right? You know, we have this idea God is omniscient, omnipresent. Uh, omnipotent, right? As God lives in eternity, we, we, we live in time. God lives out of time. In a sense, you know, God, we, we, it's hard to describe, but it's been described as if God, God lives outside of time. God sees past, present, and future all at the same time. This is the eternality of God. This is what we refer to as eternity. We tend to think of eternity as time unending, but it's actually timelessness. And even in Revelation, it says, time will be no more. And in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, right? The sun and the moon to govern the day and the night. So, like, we see that God created time in a sense that he created these moving bodies that give us a perception of passing time. But as Einstein and my other friend whose name I had trouble pronouncing, they both pointed to this reality that time's an illusion, there's only the present. We actually only live in eternity. But we create by our very perception the illusion of time. Isn't that interesting? One of the most pervasive... <laughs> Sorry. Uh, one of the most pervasive 
constructs of human culture and identity, you could say. It's time, right? What do people want to know about you? How old are you? When were you born? You know, what have you been doing lately? What are you doing tomorrow? What did you do last week? Time, time, time. We live in this illusion, but it is real for us. But as Einstein points out, and my, my other science friend, it's an illusion. It's not real. We actually live in eternity. In fact, Ecclesiastes, in that book, God says, I've set eternity in the hearts of men, and yet they can't even fathom what I've done from beginning to end. Right? Jesus is called the Alpha and the Omega. The beginning and the end. <laughs> but yet God is, doesn't have a beginning and end, right? That just speaks to the reality of time. And yet we have eternity set in our hearts. We are eternal beings. And the more we lean into God's way of being in the world, which is partly defined as eternity, the more we step out of the illusion of time and the false reality of a system that has us perpetuating more the reality of Satan's kingdom than God's. Uh, I want to jump into some scriptures here. Um, Well, okay, so yes... Part of this, though, and relating back to the last podcast, is that because we live a certain way, right? We have a certain perception of things. When our perception begins to shift, when God begins to come in and say, Hey, is that really the way things are? Is this really the way life works? That shift in perception is disorienting. And, I mean, I've had this personal experiences of this. But lots of, the, lots of these disorienting experiences where God was intentionally, you know, disorienting me away from my false perception of reality to, in order to reorient me to the way that God sees things, right? To live in a different way. To move from the kingdom of darkness, which is in opposition to God, to into the kingdom of light. You know, I just think sometimes we're so reductionist. You know, we're, we're baptized, we're saved, we got our ticket to heaven, and we're done. And we think we're done, we've just begun. What we've just begun to do is step out of this old system, the order of Satan, and into the order of God. It is a lifetime, as I talked about, too. Um, it's a journey we walk the rest of our lives. As the Hebrews 12 passage said, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood, right? You've not resisted to the point of, you've, of dying, right? You've, this is a lifetime thing. You're going to do this. You're going to have to resist over and over. You're going to have to not only resist, but walk and step out of this wrong system your whole life. And it'll always be happening. And you'll always be going like, you'll be, I mean, this is just my experience. Like, I'm like, God, you freed me from so much. And I've learned so much. And I've let go of so much. And I've surrendered so much to you. And then God's like, oh, that's great, man. Let's do it again. And I'm like, what? Ah, I thought I thought I was there. <laughs> and God's like, nope, there's more. Isn't that cool? All right, let's over, j- jump over to some scriptures before I run out of time. Mm. Okay, I'm jumping over. This is uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. This is really interesting. So, um, 
remember one of the ideas I presented was that, you know, this idea that Satan has a great degree of control in crafting our perception of reality. Satan has a system of order in organizing human culture. So here we go in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, since we have this ministry, as we received mercy, we do not lose heart. But we have renounced the things hidden because of shame, not walking in trickery or distorting the word of God, but by the open proclamation of the truth, commending ourselves to every person's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, in whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they will not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Jesus Christ, who is the image of God. Did you hear it? Verse 3, and even if our gospel, the message that Jesus is Lord, that God is here and we can know God, even if that gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing in whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they will not see the light, the truth of the gospel, of the glory of Jesus. Oh, man. Satan's blinded the minds of those apart from God through this ordered system that's ordered apart from God. Right? Like, the way that their mind their minds work to perceive reality is so distorted. It's like they've been blinded to the reality of God in the world, right? There's a blindness in the mind. And what is the mind? What is our mind? It's the way we perceive things. It's we think, we perceive, we act. We also will through the mind. We think, I want to do this, and we do it. We think, I want to eat Wheaties for breakfast, and we do. We think, I'd really like to buy some purple socks. And we go, and we find purple socks. We will our way through the world. It's through the mind. The will expresses itself through the mind, we could say. This is a different discussion, which I won't get into. Where the will is centered, it's really not centered in the mind, but it expresses itself mostly through the mind. And so it's through the, it's, you know, I think the mind in many ways is the territory in which the fight between God and Satan happens, right? To get us to believe things, think things, think things are a certain way. And when we think things are a certain way according to the kingdom of Satan, we will, out of that perception, be blinded to the, to who God is, and we will be in, in concert with the God of this world. Did you hear that too? He says, the, Paul says, Paul calls Satan the God of this world. Again, he's not talking about the natural world. He's talking about the world that's been created as an ordered system in opposition to God's ordered system. There is a God of this world. Satan is the God of this world. Why? Because he wants to be worshipped. He set himself up as God. There are other passages which talk about how he has set himself up against God, in opposition to God, to be a God. This was his intent from the beginning. It's why he invited us to be our own gods, because he wanted to be his own God. And he knew when we stepped away from God and tried to be our own gods, he would become our God, because we will not be. We were created for communion. We were created to be subservient to a higher mind. (laughs) And so when we separate from God... As that higher mind, we, we naturally have a void that Satan naturally fills. We cannot be truly independent. What Satan offered truly wasn't something for us. Satan truly didn't offer independence. He offered a different kind of dependence upon him. 
So he is the God of this world who is blinding the minds of people so that the way they perceive the world is according to his ordered system. Just as 2 Corinthians says. People blinded by the God of this world cannot see Christ. Remember I talked about when we look around, we see an ordered system. When we look up, we see God's ordered system. We have to look up. We have to to look in a different way and see in a different way. Jesus constantly said, For those who have ears to hear, let them hear what the Spirit says. There's a different way of hearing. There's a different way of seeing. There's a different way of living that puts us in contact with God's world and God's reality. But the, the very nature of that of that truth that there is a God reality and that we do not start out in it and that we need to get to it shows us that there is another reality at play. That reality is Satan's reality. Okay. Continuing. I start, stopped with verse 4 of Second Corinthians chapter 4. And I will start with verse 5. But first I'm going to Let's jump back and see my time. Yeah, there we go. Okay. This is Paul continuing in verse 5 of 2 Corinthians 4. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus as Lord, and ourselves as your bondservants on account of Jesus. For God who said, Light shall shine out of darkness, is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Isn't that cool? He's saying, basically, Satan has people in darkness. God's light needs to shine out of the darkness into our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Like the one cool thing he says, he's like, he's, uh, Paul says, as your bond servants on account of Jesus. He's like, we became servants on account of Jesus. A servant is someone who is not enacting their own will. They are enacting the will of the one who commissions them. They're serving somebody else. And Paul's saying, yeah, we serve you, but we serve you on account of Jesus, who was also a servant who came to what? Do the will of God as we are trying to do the will of God. We live in this way. We're not masters of our own fate. We're not in control of our own lives. We're not making decisions for what we want and trying to enact our own vision of the world into the world. We are servants. We are servants because Jesus was a servant and both Jesus and ourselves are servants of God. We are serving God's will. We are not serving our own. You cannot serve two masters, Jesus said. You will be beholden to the one and curse the other or vice versa. You cannot serve two masters. There are two masters in the world. And you're not one of them. (laughs) It's God or Satan. There's two gods. There's little G God, the God of this world. And there's big G God, the God of the entire created world, heaven and earth, spiritual and physical one of those is going to be your master. As soon as we step away from God's will, as soon as we really decide to go our own way, we've gone Satan's way. And really, once we detach from God, it matters very little what we do because everything we, will, we do in separation from God will be destructive. And so in a sense, all Satan really needs to do is get us to follow our own will because he knows it will inexorably and intrinsically lead us away from life the life of God into into death like Satan doesn't have to do much except separate us from God and then uh, he can do whatever he wants because there's nobody opposing him because God though he is sovereign and though all things will eventually 
come back to God's supreme authority. God has allowed us authority. And so Satan doesn't even need to really bother with us once we're detached from God because we will naturally fulfill what he wants, which is really disorder, chaos, which just gives him the ability to do what he wants. He cannot resist God. And so he cannot resist the one who is following God's will. And he cannot enact his vision through people following God's will. He can only enact his vision through people who aren't. Because he cannot come against God. He tried to come against God and failed. And then he was like, well, can't do that, so what can I do? Well, I can come against and be in control of people when they're detached from God. So that's what I'll do. Because the world is under the dominion of people as God has set up the world. And so, we enter a kind of darkness when we separate from God. But we must come back to that, to the light, when we come back to God. At verse 7, 2 Corinthians, But we have this treasure in earthen containers, so that the extraordinary greatness of the power of will be of God and not from ourselves. We are afflicted in every way but not crushed, perplexed but not despairing, persecuted but not abandoned, struck down but not destroyed, always carrying around in the body the dying of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who live are constantly being handed over to death because of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our mortal flesh. So that's is very interesting. Is a song. We're perplexed but not dis. <laughs> We're sorry. Um, perplexed but not despaired. Persecuted, not abandoned. Struck down but not destroyed. Blessed beyond the curse, cause His promise will endure. Joy is gonna be my strength, <laughs> though the sorrows may last for the night. Woo! Joy comes in the morning. I'm trading my sorrows. <laughs> I was a little rough starting out. I couldn't remember all the lines. That comes from this verse. That song comes from this verse. But like, Paul's like, man, we're just going through all this, all this trial, right? I talked about suffering last time. I talked about how we have to suffer through. God leads us to a cross. We have to suffer through this process of being put to death. And Paul's like, man, we're going through all this stuff. We're afflicted. Oh, but we're not crushed. We're perplexed. But we're not, we don't despair. Perplexed, confused, disoriented. But it's okay. We're persecuted, but we know God's not abandoned us. We're struck down, but we're not destroyed. Nothing can destroy us. And then he sums it all up in this strange phrase. Always carrying around in the body the dying of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. What? For we who live are constantly being handed over to death because of Jesus. What? I thought Jesus came to bring us life. Well, what? Yeah, so that the life of Jesus may be also revealed even in our mortal flesh. God's bringing us to death like a cross so that we can be buried, so that the old man can be buried and resurrected anew. Right? We're going through all this stuff. I'm trying to skip forward. Um. Well, he says, yeah, and he, he, he prefaces this whole section about being crushed and carrying around the body, the dying of Christ. He says, but we have this treasure in earthen containers so that the, this, the extraordinary greatness of this power will be seen as being of God and not from us. Like, Paul's saying it's important 
And Paul even said, I don't know if it's in Corinthians, um, through weakness, God's strength is revealed. Therefore, I, I, I rejoice in weakness all the more so that God's strength may be revealed all the more. Like, there's this process of learning to let go of anything we can do of our own strength, our own abilities. We have to be crushed, persecuted, struck down because we have to carry around in our body the dying of Jesus in order for the life of Jesus to be revealed in our body or in our person, in our whole life. So God brings us to death over and over and over. And Paul is talking about very specific circumstantial things. We're afflicted in every way, perplexed, persecuted, struck down. But look, we're not abandoned. We're not, we don't despair. We don't, we're, we feel crushed, but we're not. But this is the process of dying the same way Jesus died. Why did Jesus die? Not my will, but yours be done. Oh, Father, in the Garden of Gethsemane, he prayed, Look, I, I don't want to do this, Father. This is just, this is so painful. This is, I don't want to do this, but it's not what I want. I will go to the cross because it's what you want because it's part of your plan. Same for us. We don't want to face death, but when we face death, we go through darkness and the darkness, and out of the darkness shines the light. There is this, um, phrase, this idea in my Christian tradition, which is contemplation, called the dark night of the soul. It's this idea that you have to pass through darkness in order to get to the light of God. What passes into darkness is our old way of seeing, of perceiving the world through our own will, our own wants, our own desires, our own desire to be in control. That passes into darkness, into a grave. The grave is dark, people. (laughs) It sits in the grave for a long time, sometimes until it's dead completely, crucified completely, and then God can take it and make something new out of it. This is all the imagery of the old self being put to death and the new self being brought to life. We have these metaphors and we don't really understand them in practical terms. It's just it's a nice metaphor and it, what does it mean? I don't know, but I got my ticket to heaven. What does it mean is, look, you're living in a wrong system, a system ordered by Satan, and you've out of that system, you have these ideas about how the world works. And the main idea is that the world should work for you and your will is supreme and you can do whatever you want. And don't tell me what to think. I know. And don't tell me what to do. And don't get in my way. <laughs> I am the center of my world. We have 7 billion wills in competition with each other. No wonder there's war, poverty, disparity, s- sexism, racism. Genocide, human trafficking, right? Because everybody's going, going around going, well, I want this and I'm going to do what I want. And you can't tell me. And if you're in my way, watch out. And if I want to use you, watch out because it's my will. And God says, put that thing to death. That's the thing that came to life when you left me, when you came out from under my will. You came into your own will. And really, you're just feeding Satan's will. Because his will is really for destruction. And destruction is what we get when we walk in in separation from God. And so we're living in this system and perceiving the world in a way that is death. And so the irony is God invites us into death to come back to life. So the very thing that is killing us can bring us life. When 
we understand what truly needs to die, and that is our own willful, self-centered way of doing what we want. We need to become surrendered to God. And how does that happen? Practically, we encounter, Paul says, we encounter affliction, persecution, things that strike us down. Why? Our will must be thwarted. We must constantly be experiencing this over and over again where God's like, oh, you want that? You're pushing hard for your will, yet you're inviting me into your life, and here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to thwart your will. I'm going to crush your desires to do what you want over and over. I'm going to afflict your plans. I'm going to crush your plans. You're going to be perplexed. You're going to be confused. You're going to be disoriented. You're going to be trying to move through the world with your will, and you're going to hit wall after wall after wall, and you're going to go, what is going on, God? Why won't you bless this? Why won't you open this door? And God's like, well, who's God here? You or me? I'm going to crush and crush and perplex and persecute and strike down this willful way of living until you start to go, huh? Huh? Well, wait a minute, God. What's your will here? And God's like, bingo. That's the question. Now we can turn a corner. Now we can begin to move in a new way. Now you can begin to see the world how I see the world. Now you can, be, can begin to participate with my will on the world instead of yours. Now you can move out of the kingdom of darkness, which has blinded your mind, which has been blinded by the God of this world. And now you can start to step into light, into the ordered system, which I have ordered, which is me as the supreme and central will. And you can begin to surrender to me just like Jesus did. You can begin to carry around in your body the dying of Jesus so that the life of Jesus can be revealed in you. Wow. Man. But guess what? It's disorienting. When I mean, to have the very way you think the world works begin to fall apart, it's disorienting. Well, I th- God, I thought, I thought you worked this way. I thought you were here to bless me. I thought you were here to do what I wanted. It's heavy. It's heavy because it takes a lot sometimes for the, our will to be crushed, crucified, buried, so it can be resurrected into something new. What is that new thing? Is our will in concert with God's. So that we begin to enact a different reality into the world God's reality, God's system of order, God's kingdom, right? God's kingdom coming. Jesus said when he taught the disciples to pray, pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Well, wait a minute, Jesus. You're saying God's will isn't being done on earth? Well, yeah. That's the whole paradigm. Well, whose will is being done? Isn't it mine? No, not really. Who is the mind behind the system of the world? Who's the God of this world? Satan. We pray, we seek, we strive. We work, we surrender our whole lives, we strive to step into this reality that Jesus expressed in his prayer. Thy will be done. Thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Like heaven is not somewhere else where God lives apart from us. God's here, but like heaven represents God's system, God's kingdom, the way that God wants to order the world. Like, 
hey God, the way that you live, the reality you live in, I want that reality to come to the earth. Because why? Because it's not here. Because there's a contention between your kingdom and Satan's kingdom here. And so each of us needs to begin to pray and live out of the prayer of thy will be done. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Well, how can God's kingdom come? What's in the way of God's kingdom, really? It's not Satan's kingdom, people. It's your will. Acting independent of God, which then happens to act in concert with Satan. So it's your will that's the problem. Where is your will? It's not in that tree over there. It's not in the sky. It's inside you. The battle is within. Over what? Satan going, no, no, no. No, you, look, you've got good ideas. No, you, you can do it. No, do what you, like, man, God really likes it when you do things for him. When you tell him, look, don't give up your will. Don't give up your will. And God's like, that's the thing in the way. Not your will, but my will be done. That's how my kingdom comes. When my will is done, what's in the way of my will? Your will. Oh, isn't Satan's kingdom opposing you? Yes, but he couldn't be opposing me if he didn't have a will to work with because he can't exact his kingdom on his own. He has to exact it through the wills of people in willing in concert with him because you have dominion over the earth. When you walk with me, your will subservient to mine, then my kingdom will be coming. It's your will that's in the way. It's not Satan. It's your will. As long as you're acting in your will, in control of your will, you'll be participating in a system that creates a false reality. Through the way you perceive things to work, you create illusion. And you live out of that illusion, and it becomes reality for you. It becomes a reality in opposition to God's reality. This is what we're talking about. (sighs) There are two realities that we need to change the way we perceive. We need a new mind. And this is what scripture also says. Let's see where I'm at here. I'm going good here. I've got about 20 minutes. We need a new mind. We need a mind subservient to a higher mind. Look, that's the truth. Is we're already subservient to a higher mind. We're going to be subservient. You cannot serve two masters, but you will serve a master. Your, your mind is going to be subservient to a higher mind. It's going to be either the God of this world or the true God of all creation, Satan or God, two kingdoms. You're going to be subservient. Your mind, the way you think, the way you perceive, the way you view reality and the way you create reality is going to be subservient to a higher mind. You have two choices, and only one of them's good, and only one of them's God. One of them is a false God. So it's all about the mind. Mm. Uh, I was, I was gonna go to some of the, you know, I'm gonna jump into, over to first, uh, back to First Corinthians. There's some passages that talk about the battle is not against flesh and blood, uh, Ephesians, and there's two different verses there. I'll skip over those for now. I might come back to them. Probably not. Okay. This is pretty cool. This is Paul in First Corinthians. Uh, chapter 2, verse 6. We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. Now here Paul could be talking about human rulers, but I think he's talking about the principalities of Satan. So he says we have a wisdom, but it's not the wisdom of what he's saying. There's a wisdom of God and there's a wisdom of the world apart from God. Verse 7. Now, 
We declare God's wisdom, a mystery that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. However, as it is written, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, remember by faith, we step into something unseen. What no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him. These are the things God has revealed to us by his Spirit. And this is all invisible. Do you see? God's Spirit is invisible. God's system is invisible. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, and no human mind has conceived. Like, you can't even imagine this. God has to reveal it through his Spirit. And it says then about the Spirit, continuing in verse 10, The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who knows a person's thoughts? or mind, except their own spirit within them. In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. What we have received is not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak, not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, explaining spiritual realities with Spirit-taught words. The person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolish and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. The person with the Spirit makes judgments about all things, but such a person is not subject to merely human judgments. For who has known the mind of the Lord as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Man, this is so good. Like, this is, like, there's this constant dichotomy interplay here. Like, Hey, there's two different minds in the world. There's two different ways of perceiving things. There's two different understandings. There's the wisdom of the world. There's the wisdom of God. There's the Spirit of God. Only the Spirit of God can reveal the things of God. And he says, verse 12, What we have received is not the Spirit of the world, right? The Spirit of the world is Satan, but the Spirit of God, so that we may understand what God has given. Like, you can't understand what God has given through your own mind, which is dominated by the Spirit of this world which is Satan, the God of this world. So, and Paul says in 13, we, we speak wisdom, but not in words of human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, explaining spiritual realities. There's a spiritual reality to things. There's a worldly reality and a spiritual reality. Spiritual reality is how does God see things? What's the ordered system that God, that is of God, through which God wants to enact his will? where his will is supreme. There's a spiritual reality. He says in verse 14, the person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit. It's, they seem foolish, right? We t- I talked about how people will tell, call you foolish for saying, oh, there's this way that the world is meant to work according to God's will. And people, that's stupid. That's dumb. That doesn't even make any sense. Uh, I have a friend who's an atheist, and he's a really good friend. But sometimes he posts on social media, and he's like, it's post about scripture. He's like, and he, I saw this the other day. He was like, think about some of these. He was pointing out some, some principles like, oh, surrender to Christ. Consider others as better than yourself. He's like, these things are actually really stupid. Consider others as better than yourself is dumb because you're putting yourself down and you're just going to, you're going to be a doormat and be subservient to Christ is, is really dumb. And he was just like, he was just like, this stuff just doesn't make sense. Of course it doesn't make sense because it can't make sense if you don't have the Spirit. This is what Scripture says. It won't make sense to you. It'll seem foolish when you don't have the Spirit because it's the Spirit of God that helps us see reality according to God's ways. So if you try to sit and think logically, and I talked in episode 7 about how human logic was introduced into Christian thinking. Logically, it doesn't make sense. God, how can I thrive and get my needs met when I'm putting others, when I'm considering others as better than myself. It doesn't make sense. And God's like, I know it doesn't make sense, 
Because, but it doesn't make sense because what makes sense to you is the reality you live in, which is ordered by the God of this world. So it won't make sense. So if you're only going to do what makes sense to you in following me, you won't even be following me or hardly following me because it's not going to make sense because it's foolishness. And in, in the realm and the reality of the system ordered, to, ordered by Satan, my wisdom and truth and reality won't make sense because that's the very reason Satan has designed his order. It's in opposition to mine. It's exactly the opposite. And so everything that I say is wisdom will look stupid to you until you get a new mind. That's what Paul says in verse 16. Who has known the mind of the Lord as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. And then he can... Oh, this is Romans. I, I just skipped over to my Romans passage. Let's go there. <laughs> this is Romans uh, chapter 8, verse 5. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. Their minds set. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. What's the desire of the flesh? Me, 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 me. I want, I want, I don't like this, I don't like that, I don't like her, I don't like him, I wish he wasn't here, I wish she wasn't there, I wish that wasn't in my way, I wish I could get there already, I wish I could get that pay raise, I wish that I was the one in that place, I wish I was being honored, I wish I could be her. Me, 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 the desire of the flesh is me-centered, my will is supreme, and what I want I should get, and if I don't get it, I'm going to be really upset, I'm going to be unhappy, and my life is going to be miserable, and I'm going to live basically in hell. Your will puts you in hell. Why? Because your will is not supreme. And as much as you may try and sometimes uh, even succeed in enacting your will and accomplishing your will, it's just hardly reality. Reality is there's 7 billion wills trying to enact their own vision of the world in concert with one bigger will, the God of this world, and none of them are going to actually win. It's a will that's constantly thwarted. That's what the flesh desires. It desires its own way in competition with 7 billion other humans and spiritual principalities all trying to enact their own will in competition with each other. But the way it was meant to be is one will, unifying everyone under that one will and purpose, which is perfect and purely good. Our individual wills, Satan's wills, are not for good. They're for the good of one. That's the problem. God's will is for the good of all and balances the good of all. And, and actually perceives every person, everything, and knows how to order it in the right way, right? This is God's ordered system. Hey, God's ordered system is, I want the whole world to thrive, like heaven, to be good, everything to be good. And I can see how every single person and thing in the world can exist and operate in a way where it's good for everybody. My will can enact goodness for every single living thing and person. But what's the opposite of that? Individual will saying, only my good. I don't care what happens to you. I don't care if I don't... I don't care if you get what you need or want. My will is supreme. But my will is only focused on my good. Satan's will is only focused on his good. That's not good. God's will is focused on all, on the, the good of all, not the good of one. God's not like, well, I created this world so I could have what I want, and I'm using everything for my good. No, God's, God is good because God is bringing about what is good for everyone. God is um, I was trying to think of the word, established an equanimity. God is benevolent. God is empathic. God cares about every single living thing and wants every sing, single living thing to thrive. My will is just for me. 
Oh yeah, sometimes I'll do some good for others. Sometimes I'll feel, I'll pat myself on the back. I feel pretty good because I stopped and helped that lady cross the street and, and in the grocery store, I helped that lady get that thing off the shelf. That's pretty good. I feel pretty good. I helped someone today. I didn't just follow my will. Like when we go through the world with our will, what I want, I want. And then every once in a while we, we have this exception to the I want will, which is, oh yeah, you wanted that. I'll help you. And oh, don't I feel good? Why? Because it feels good when it's not just my will. But the reality is that's the exception. Why are we meant to consider others as better than ourselves? Because if everybody was feeling and pouring into the needs of others, everybody's needs would be met and we would all be giving to each other and we would all have what we need instead of taking and taking and taking from each other because I want what I want and I don't care what you get. That's my will supreme and my will wrecks the world. And that's exactly why Satan enticed us to follow our own will, to live out of our own mind because he wanted to wreck the world. Because why? The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. That's all he wants to do. He wants to destroy everything. It's like he's just vehemently hateful towards God and he was like, God, I just want to take your order and I just want to wreck it. I want to break it. And yeah, it's good that I could, because that's then my will's being enacted. What's your will, Satan? I want to break everything. I just want to wreck God's order completely. I want to just kill, kill, destroy, death, destruction, annihilation. That's what I want. I want to break everything that God's made good. I want to make it terrible. That's Satan's will. The highest will of the highest mind apart from God is destruction. And that's exactly where our will falls into without even meaning to. Because we can't see beyond our own little selfish, selfish self-centered will. And our own little self-centered good. That's our own mind towards things. We have to be broken of that will. We have to be broken of our tendency to have our mind set on what the flesh desires. In order to begin to live out of what the spirit desires. To have a mind governed by the spirit instead of a mind governed by the flesh. Which is what it says in verse 6. Our mind is the problem. We have to begin to let God shift our mind, our perception, away from the illusion that we're in control to the reality of God's control. But it is scary. It's hard. Remember the twisties and yips? It's hard to begin to surrender our will, to let go. It's the natural way we were used to living in the world. I was in a Bible study, a men's group one time, and I was going through this process of really learning. I was being pressed. I was being crushed. I went through a breakdown. And my whole life was falling apart. And I was like, God, where are you? And God's like, I'm right here. We're going to do this. You're being crushed. But you're not abandoned. You're perplexed. But you're not destroyed. I'm leading you through this process in a big way, a grand way of learning how destructive your will is. And I was in this men's group. And I was sharing like how much we need to surrender to God's will. And the guy across from me said, basically, you're crazy. How can you live life with your, without your will? And I was like, yeah, man, that's, oh, man. Yeah, I get it. It doesn't make sense, does it? Like, we don't even know how to do it. It's just absurd. It's stupid. It doesn't make sense and it doesn't feel right and it's not going to happen if we're not crushed, if God doesn't lead us by the way of the cross. Like a hook that grabs us and says, you see that grave? Let's go there first. You want good life? You want life in me? There's a cross. There's a tomb. Are you ready for this? Whoa, <laughs> wait a minute. I want good stuff, God, but I, I don't think I want that grave. <laughs> wait a minute. You asking me to surrender my will? 
Now I want you to do what I, I came into this whole thing thinking you would bless me. God's like, I want to bless you. But first there's got to be a death and a burial and a resurrection. Your will has to be put to death. And it's not a one-time thing. It's over and over and over, deeper and deeper, deeper, because the heart is deceitful above all else. Who can even know it? But I, the Lord, search the heart and the mind. And I reveal the depths of the heart. And I'll show you every single inch, every single square inch of your interior territory that needs to be brought back under my control. And there's miles and miles and miles of your self-willed life running deep inside you. And it has to be drawn out and nailed to a cross and put into a grave and buried until it's dead, dead, dead. So I can resurrect it into something new. And what is that new thing is not my will, but yours be done. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We cannot fathom how foreign it is to begin to step away from our self-willed life into the life of God. And until we do, we cannot even begin to approach the idea of hearing God and living in concert with God where God's will is supreme. And when like God can be talking to you every second of every day saying, hey, I really would like you to go here because this is what's good. And you're like, God, God, can you do this for me, please? God's like, I totally didn't even hear me. Hey, son, daughter, I have something good for you over here. What was that, God? I, I was too busy talking. I, can you do this, please? I've been asking you to do this, God. Day after week after week, I'm struggling here, God. Why won't you do this? And God's like, uh, that's the opposite direction of the good I have for you. Would you please stop telling me what to do and start listening to what I'm telling you to do? Darn it. <laughs> Man as long as we're in our will, acting out of our will, God's will will not happen for us. God's will will always be accomplished. That's not the question. That's not in question. Satan's kingdom won't prevail, but it might prevail in us. It will prevail in us unless we learn to let God put our will to death. And that's a day-to-day thing. Jesus said, And Luke specifically, Jesus said, take up your cross daily and follow me. Deny yourself. Take up your cross daily and follow me. Every day you got to wake up and say, okay, God, we're doing it again. Today, I know I'm going to be tempted to follow my own will. I'm going to be tempted to ask you to do what I want. I'm going to be tempted to think that I know what's good and I tell you what to do because I'm trying to be my own God again. I'm trying to follow my own will again. And God's like, that's right. And every day, what do we do? Let's go through it again. I developed this mantra after my breakdown when when I was so crushed by the weight of my own will, it was tearing me apart. And God was allowing it to tear me apart. I used to wake up and say, God, this was my prayer. Help me to go with the flow of today as you have ordained it. Remember Hebrews 12? Jesus is the author and perfecter of our faith. He goes before us. He blazes the trail. I was like, God, you've blazed a trail for me and it's awesome, but I don't know how to walk it. I only know how to do my will. Help me. Because I can't do this. I only know how to live in this system under the God of this world. That's what I've been trained in. I don't know how to do this. God, help me to go with the flow of today as you have ordained it. Help me to surrender to what you want. Then I can begin to hear. I can't even begin to hear what you want when I'm always talking about what I want, when I'm always thinking about what I want, when my mind is centered on my will and my wants and my way. We can't even begin to fathom 
hearing God, following God, seeking God, seeing God, as long as we're telling to tell God what to do, and as long as we're being our own God. Surrender is key. We're living in a false reality. What is that false reality? I can do it. What I want is what I should have. I should get that. I want this. That's a false reality. What is true reality? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Not my will, but thy will be done. That's true reality. We'll never step into God's reality when we're living in the exact opposite way, when we're living in opposition to God's reality. We may want it, we may seek it, we may desire it, we may crave it, we may ask for it, but until we get to the cross, until we put our will to death, it won't happen. We can't follow our will on God's. We can't serve two masters. There are two minds in the world to which our mind can be subservient, God's or Satan's. There's two gods in the world. There's the God of this world, and there's the true God of all reality and creation. We have to begin to let our mind and will be crucified. Nothing happens before that. That's why first we must be buried, baptized, put to death. Like that's what baptism symbolizes, entering a grave. Like you enter the water, it's like entering the grave. You're buried, you're under, can't breathe, right? You've died. You're resurrected back up out of the water. That's what it symbolizes, death, burial, resurrection. It's not a quaint metaphor. It's a reality of, of a will apart from God's will that needs to be put to death. The beauty is when your will is put to death, as it gets put to death, as it becomes more subservient to God's, guess what? Satan comes in and tries to enact his will through you and says, hey, you should do this. And you're like, no, it's, I, it's not what I want. I'm just listening to God. You should do that. Don't you really want that? Doesn't that look good? I'm not following my own will. I'm not listening to that voice anymore. Doesn't, doesn't affect us. Satan pushes and prods through what jealousy and pride. And he's like, oh, you can't let him do that. He can't. Look, he's putting you down. He's, <clears throat> he's not in agreement with you. It doesn't matter. It's not about what I want. It's not about my will. That's what Satan, Satan's only weapon against us is our will. Because he's constantly saying, man, don't you let that happen. Man, don't you know your will must be supreme. And you're like, oh, actually, I've, I've, no, I've started this process with God. And he's teaching me how my will doesn't need to be supreme. So I don't even hear it. That's not my reality anymore, Satan. It doesn't matter to me. I don't care about my will anymore. Satan has no ground in you when you have no will of your own. That's Satan's weapon. Man, your will's being thwarted here. You can't let that happen. Actually, that's exactly what needs to happen. And so even the way that Satan thwarts and comes against us becomes God's tool of redemption because Satan is saying, oh, your will, look at you. And God, you're like, yeah, you know what? I, that, that part of my will needs to put to death too. Thank you, God, for using even the dark things, leading me to death and darkness to bring me back to life. Even when Satan attacks me, it just reveals my will again. And then I'm like, okay, here's another part that needs to be surrendered to you and your will. <laughs> it just all begins, what? God begins to work all things for our good when we step into this new paradigm where we start to say, not my will, but yours be done. Man, it's paradigm shifting. It's scary. It's crazy. It seems foolish. It doesn't make sense. But man, that kind of death brings us to life. It brings us out of an illusion through a false perception into the reality of God. 
Hey guys, thanks for listening. We're going to continue to talk about this. This is a really big one. I don't know if I'll continue with this idea of surrender. I, I probably should because, again, when we're talking, we can't hear God. And this is about hearing God. Thank you for paying attention. I love you guys. You can always catch more content at www.moderncontemplative.com. This has been the Construction Monk Podcast. I'm your host, Jay Randall Ori. See you guys. Bye.